We'll stand in honor of the word of God this morning. Jeremiah chapter 3. I'm going to read several portions of scripture, um, all in the Jeremiah 3 and Jeremiah 4 section, and then I want to speak to you a few moments this morning. Jeremiah 3, beginning with verse 1, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation and then the King James as well, but it'll be close enough in your translation you can follow along. God is speaking to his people Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, if a man divorces a woman and she goes and marries someone else, he will, not take her about, he will not take her back again, for that would surely corrupt the land. But you've prostituted yourself with many lovers, so why are you trying to come back to me, says the Lord? Look at the shrines on every hilltop. Is there any place that you've not been defiled by adultery with other gods? We sit like a prostitute beside the road waiting for a customer. We sit alone like a nomad in the desert and have polluted the land with prostitution and wickedness. That's why even the spring rains have failed. For you're a brazen prostitute and completely shameless. And yet you say to me, Father, you've been my guide since my youth. Surely you won't be angry forever. Surely you can forget about it. So you talk, but you keep on doing all the evil you can. Look at verse 21. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they had perverted their way and had forgotten the Lord their God. Return, backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. For shame has devoured the labor of our fathers and from our youth, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame and our confusion covers us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even unto this day. And if we, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Chapter 4, 1 through 3. O Israel, or people of God, says the Lord, if you wanted to return to me, you could. You could throw away the detestable idols and stray away no more. Then when you swear by my name, saying, as surely as the Lord lives, you could do so with truth, justice, and righteousness. Then you would be a blessing to the nations of the world, and all people would come and praise my name. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, and do not waste your good seed among thorns. And finally, verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Before you're seated, would you look this way this morning? As your pastor, this is a very hard message for me. This last week I have done much introspection and found much that was not pleasing to the Lord. Much. I do not preach from a platform of my ascension and your descension. I present before you the word of the Lord that I believe is for us in this season. 
I am not only not qualified to judge, I refuse to be a judge of any man's life because the only way I would know of your evil is by recognizing it in my own heart. But the credits are about to roll in this dispensation. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. And if we're not careful, we're going to become like the masses that who honor the Lord with their, with their lips, but their heart is far from God. We don't need a legalism passed on by some hierarchy of ministers that's decided how we should live. That is not what we need. But we need to look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word and in the light of his countenance and judge rightly for ourselves that we be not judged. When you hear the word stage four, we immediately think of cancer. We know friends that have diagnosed, they have stage four cancer. When I was preparing this, I felt the Lord speak to me about stage four backslidings. There are four areas in just that little bit of scripture that he covers. He talks about the unfaithful wife. He talks about the unhealthy patient. He talks in chapter 4 about the unplowed field and the uncircumcised heart. I had planned on starting a series on worship this Sunday. But I know for a fact if we're not healthy, we'll never enter into worship anyway. And so humbly this morning, I offer you this word. And if, if you receive it in anything else than a spirit of humility, then I have failed you as a pastor. But there are times in the history of our church where I feel like we're at crossroads. And I feel like that for us. I've felt contractions of that over the last couple of years. I've even prayed. I said, Lord, if I'm the lid, I'll quit. I'll step down. I'll move out. But we need, we need repentance to come from our heart. And we need winds of the Lord. And we need to stop being cl we close to the truth because when we know the truth the bible said it makes you free it makes you free so i pray that over you this morning and i pray that over me and if i've ever if there's any trust in your heart for me would you allow me just to preach it and not prejudge me and think that i'm some tyrant swinging the hammer of the word of god i just don't want to to dilute it in any level, what I felt the Lord saying to me. And uh, please know that I have preached it to my own soul before it's ever reached you. So Lord, I just come before you this morning. And I ask that you, first of all, I want to thank you for the great grace that you've given me that I've not been consumed and destroyed. My failures and my double-mindedness and my duplicity. And I just humble myself before you. And I want to thank you publicly for your mercy that's new every morning for people like me. I, I know that you do not desire me to live bowed over, but I must bow myself over to live. I know that. And if I humble myself in your sight, then you'll lift me up. And I pray that over this house that we would do honest introspection. And we would not just glean on the top layers of the word of God looking for promises, but searching out the problems as well. And that we would grow thereby and be healed thereby and truly live. I pray over this church, oh Lord. I'm not responsible for other places. 
But I pray over this church that we not have a name that we are alive and truly dead. I pray, O oh Lord, that we're not lukewarm and rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and not even know our own blindness and not even know our own soul. So I pray, O oh Lord, for the light of your word to come in and to turn on uh, healing properties in our soul. And let it happen today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I won't take long because so much of it is so self-explanatory. But I want to speak to you for a moment on the unfaithful wife. In Jeremiah 3, 1 through 5, it talks about uh, a man who had put away his wife. And she married another. And God said, I, that man would never, never ask her back because he's the one that put her away. And he drew stark contrast to himself and this man. He was making the point, I didn't put you away. You left. Any distance in our life between us and God is us. Any coldness in our life between us and God is us. Any darkness, any weakness, subtly we'll put it upon our situation and our stresses and our pressures and all of these things and we deceive ourselves, we trick ourselves. It's like the man that was driving the car and the uh, woman was on the side of the truck and they were both around 70 years old and she said, remember when you used to wrap your arm around me and remember when you used to twirl my hair and tell me how beautiful I was and old Codger said, yep. Remember how we had butterflies and everything and you used to pull me close and kiss me on the cheek driving in this old truck? He said, yep. Well, what do you have to say about that? He said, the steering wheel didn't move. She said, oh. The steering wheel hasn't moved. The Lord wants us to know, I didn't put you away. I didn't push you away. I didn't ask you for the gaps. He spoke to this nation of Israel and said your adultery was not an isolated incident. There are many lovers, many forms of rebellion, many forms of lust, many forms of coldness. It's not just an incident. Dealing in marriage counseling for years and years, I've watched and I've heard so many people say it almost the same way. Had it been one thing, you can, you can, you can go on, but when it's just a brazen pattern, then the relationship breaks down. And the Lord used the phrase to Israel, many lovers. Now Israel was the national and is the national people of Israel. God picked uh, uh, the national people of God. God picked Abram, a Gentile, brought him out of the Gentiles, the land of the Ur of Chaldees, and created a nation who later became known as Israel. Moved them into the land of Israel, the Canaanite land. They're the earthly people of God. But when Christ died... And the gospel now is preached. There's a new branch grafted in called the church. And we are the spiritual nation of God. There's a national Israel, which is the people of God, and we are. And not everything that he said to Israel, the nation, applies to us. But spiritual dynamics do. 
And if he notices adulteries in the national Israel, he notices adulteries in the spiritual nation, the church. God is telling them, your definition of coming back and my definition of coming back to me are different. He said, you're coming back, but that, no, 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 that's not coming back. Coming back is not showing up. Coming back is not going through emotion. I have watched people who the husband was unfaithful or the wife was unfaithful and they come back together and they say, we're going to try to make it work. Rarely does it work, my experience. But I've also watched an unfaithful husband or an unfaithful wife come back and humble themselves before the other person and say, there's no excuse for what I did. You are the husband of my youth. And I played the harlot. I sinned against you and our children. And I ask for your forgiveness. I don't deserve it. And no part of what you did made me be unfaithful. I come back to you and I humble myself before you with no excuse. And I ask you to forgive me. And almost without fail, great grace happens and they are well. What does your coming back look like? When we come back to God, we own it. We don't say, like, if the man came back to his wife and said, yeah, I cheated, but you know how you do. That, that's not repentance. Repentance for me is when I take ownership of it all. Nobody made me. No pressure made me. No lack made me. No obstacle made me. I strayed because I'm a strayer and that type of repentance is the kind the Lord looks for when we come back to him it said your defilement has spread to every part of your heart and you can't even wait for the opportunity to indulge the flesh the verses they, these are these are not even reworded so they'll be palatable he said you sit like a prostitute waiting for a customer which means you're just waiting, anticipating the next opportunity to sin against me. You think that's a sick feeling when you see yourself like that? You ought to try feeling like that when you pastor a church. Said so you just wait. You didn't wait in your home. You position yourself in the traffic so that the opportunity can happen. We go clubbing not because we like music. We position ourselves for the next fornication, for the next uh, worldly connection. And we listen, we listen to what they listen to. We watch what they watch. We're so much like the world that the only reason we think we're different is because we clock out an hour on Sunday and come in and worship. And it's not often really worship. God says that much of the drought in your life is my judgment upon you to get you to see the error of your ways so that you'll turn back to me. He said, that's why the rains aren't coming. That's why the droughts happen. You know what God will do? Because he loves people like you and me. He'll make our life so uncomfortable to turn us towards him. He starts with uncomfortable before he does chastisement and judgment. And when there's no rain, it means no beauty no life, no greenery. 
And we call it dry seasons. And there are dry seasons when you're walking closely with the Lord. But sometimes the dry seasons are not because we're walking closely with the Lord. It's because we're walking distant from the Lord. And finally, he said, you speak of my name and our relationship, but only when you need it. Nothing is more important to you than doing what your flesh wants to do. For those of us that have similar experiences of broken relationships, without putting fault on it, you can be on either side, A or B, pick a side. What does a man do when his wife comes home with another man's cologne smeared on her collar? What does a woman do when her husband's phone is filled with text messages to another woman or calls that show the time after they had went to bed so he has obviously gotten back up after 11 and at 1 o'clock called this other person? It breaches it breaches, it tears at the fabric of the relationship. And if you think it hurts to be the unfaithful one, can you imagine what it feels like to be the betrayed one? And God has shown me and us in his word that we can, some of us, and listen, oh, thank you, Lord, for reminding me. When you hear a heavy message like this, you don't take the whole message. You let the Lord tell you what part fits you. Because a false condemnation can destroy you. And if this doesn't fit you, go, thank you, Lord. I may have done that in my past, but that is not me today. But an unfaithful wife rips the heart out of a husband. And some of us are unfaithful. And we have the attitude it's like the, the woman coming home or coming home and said, well, I only have adultery twice a year. I'm with you 363 days a year. And the man would look at her and go, you think it's a matter of numbers? It's that there's room in your heart for anybody else but me. That's the thing. And I have found in Scripture where I have made the Lord feel like that. Number two. An unhealthy patient. It said that they had perverted their way. They're unhealthy because they perverted their way. They ignore the truth. They question the truth. They dilute the truth. We pervert our way by rebelling against truth and by falsifying and changing the truth. Forgetting the Lord God. Forgetting what he's done for us. How far we've already come. Forgetting his ownership of us. His desire for us and his jealousy concerning us. And God chastens those he loves. One of the private prayers your pastor prays. You know when the Lord will start convicting you about a thing or a general attitude of your heart. Just a general attitude. It, it doesn't even have to have a thing, but sometimes it does. And you become miserable. There's a, it's almost like a fog that settles. How do you get fog off of you? And I remember many times... And the spirit of this, I hope to convey to you, you just get so frustrated, you almost say, would you just leave me alone about it? But our spirit 
takes control and coming out of your pastor's mouth when he's alone with God, with all the fog of conviction on you, I'll say, whatever you do, don't leave me alone. The worst thing God can do to you, the worst is turn you over to yourself. That's the worst thing he can do. An unhealthy person is unhealthy. And when you change the truth or ignore the truth or dilute the truth or rewrite the truth or it's not the standard for you, spiritual sickness flows. And I want to thank the Lord publicly that he loves me enough to make my life miserable to turn me back to himself so that I will not be consumed with myself. Perfect definition for a backslider found in the Old Testament. It's that a backslider in his heart is filled with his own ways. Here's what a backslider is. They are filled with themselves. Their pleasures, their lust, their goals, their sins, their ideas, their plans, their joys. They are filled with themselves. That's the truest definition of a backslider. But God chastens those he loves. And some of you in this room are very frustrated and even angry. But you ought to thank the Lord that he makes that fog settle in on you so you don't forget him. Because if he looked the other way, if we told the truth and he let this slide, we'd build on what just slid with something else and something else and something else. And conviction is one of the greatest mercies God can ever have on you because conviction is nothing more than God giving you permission to repent. We don't repent on our own. There must be conviction for us to do so. He said these people look for relief instead of a cure. And he said there's no salvation in the hills. There's no salvation in the mountains. And many people go to church to find help, not a cure. That's why we have self-help sermons and self-help series. So you'll feel good about your sickness. And listen, if you go to church and they preach this every week, find you another church. Hey, you can't just be just... The, Bam, every week. But don't, don't we have to have it sometimes where there's just the full length? I don't need help. I need a cure. If I get cancer, I don't need help. I don't need you to tell me how good I look and that's a good color on me. Let's deal with the stuff. Unhealthy, he said. Looking for relief instead of a cure. Insisting on sin after righteousness has struck fatal blows. It says here, it speaks about their worship on the hills. Listen to this. Although King Josiah had destroyed the altars and worship centers, false gods, Molech, Baal, Ashtaroth, and they would come to these temples on hills, and there were temple prostitutes, male and female, and they would in the open have sex one with another while praying and believing and it was a sensual worship experience. King Josiah came and tore down almost all of these places to the ground, mowed them over, got rid of the, the masonry and the sticks. Listen, but even when the hills were cleared, the people of Israel would go back and visit the prostitutes on a, a barren hill. You know what that's symbolic of? 
how God in his righteousness will strike blows to your sinfulness. And it may not have the setting that it used to have. It may not have the full expression that it used to have. But we'll go back to the shadow of our sin and do it anyway. I've done it anyway. And when you see, you know, our excuses never seem so stupid till we see it in the life of somebody else. And temples are tore down, but they go back because it was sensual or lustful or it was, it was familiar, if you will. The unhealthy person is eventually clothed with shame and loss, a lost inheritance, possessions, relationships. And this deception leads to confusion and hopelessness. They said confusion covers us. And only the acknowledgement of our sinful history and disobedience will lead to repentance and allow us to turn completely away from our sins and completely unto God. The verse says, we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth until now, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or the word of the Lord. Here's the deal. Some of us are not the unfaithful wife, but we're sick. Our countenance is dark. Our joy is all but gone. Our capacity for pleasure is a memory. And what do we do? We surround ourselves with other ghosts and act like nobody knows the difference. You were called to live. You were called to have abundant life and you were called to thrive. But we can't do that if the branch is disconnected from the vine, the, the branch withers and dies, it falls away. But if we're connected to the vine, everything is fine. That's the problem. The problem is not willpower. The problem is not getting a, a list of rules and regulations. The problem is we are trying to live a spiritual life without the spirit. A Christless faith, a passionless faith, a, a, a faith without the atoning work of Jesus that not only paid for my sins, but pays for my sins. I have to come back and visit. That, that grace not only was once applied like the hymn writer sang, but it continues to be applied. So there was the unfaithful wife, and the unhealthy person, and then the unplowed field. If you're looking in your Bibles, it's Jeremiah 4, 1 through 3. This is what the Lord says do. Plow up the ground of your heart. Do not waste your good seed among thorns. The seeds of what? Repentance. Don't repent over a hard heart. Don't repent over a heart that is filled with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of the flesh. You plow your own heart. Plowing of the heart is not repentance. It's the preparation for repentance. It's getting rid of the obstacles that are in the way so that I can do serious business with the Lord one-on-one -on -one basis. And may I just say this too? When you get a message like this, you don't need no preacher you don't need a prophet, an apostle, a bishop, a pope, a vicar, an intermediary, a dead saint, beads, candles. You need the Lord. 
just the Lord. Anybody else in between that is in the way because you have one mediator between you and God. That's Jesus Christ, the Lord. And when a message like this is delivered, preachers and priests get out of the way because we didn't die for you and we don't have solutions for you. We only preach the message which turns the light on. Be careful of those people that meddle in the intimate parts of your life and want to be there in the interaction. That's like walking in in someone's bedroom. It's private. It's none of my business. Now, if someone is working out their salvation and needs to talk to a pastor to ask them a question, that's different. But you don't need me in the connectivity part, in the repentant part. You can tell our heart is hard by what we let go in our eyes and what we let go in our ears and what we are unwilling to do without. This verse to me is so strong. It said, if you wanted to return to me, you would. If you wanted to return, you could. I can't get back. Yes, you can. You have to throw away the detestable idols. You ever tried to get through the airport security with anything in your pocket? Anything. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Take your keys out. Uh, take your belt off. Uh, it's a feeling, lady. What you want me to do? Take it out of my mouth. What you want me to do? Anything. Oh, yeah, you had a surgery back, you know, in the WW1. I got a pin right here. Uh, 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 uh. If you really want to walk with the Lord, you better get used to that sound. I'm sorry. I know we've got this gospel where you just take grace like mayonnaise and just slop it over everything and just eat the sandwich. I'm telling you that to walk with the Lord, it's a narrow pathway. Now, I can walk in word only and do like I want to. I couldn't tell you how many times I get ready to come preach on a Sunday morning. Ah, oh, Lord, yes, yes. Yes, Lord, forgive me for this. I'll write that and call that person. Yes, God, I will. And sometimes you'll see me right in the middle of worship. It ain't even the time. Lay on my face before the Lord. The Lord will say, humble yourself before me. You're arrogant. Humble yourself now before my fury breaks out on you. It's just over and over. And I thank the Lord. For that buzzer in my soul, the witness of the Holy Spirit that won't, me, won't let me get off into foolishness and destruction. An unplowed heart. You can tell how hard our heart is by how little emotion we feel and express towards God. I know that the, some of us, are we wear it on our sleeves. I got that. Some of us are loud. Some of us are quiet. God's not trying to rewire your DNA. I got it. The goal of Christianity is not to see how loud you can get. I understand it. But you do feel some stuff. And I'll tell you what you feel. You feel in the areas that are most important to you. Like it or not like it. You got some man, he ain't said three words since January 3rd. He don't talk. He uses his three words, good morning, baby. But he likes football. And the ball game comes over, he's flipping couches over, screaming. You know, when it's his team, he's screaming with them. And when it's the other team, he's screaming at them. Game's over, he sits back down. Could I have some tea, please? Now, does God want him to be demonstrative in every part of his life? No. I'm just letting you know that the emotion and the expression comes out in the areas that he feels. And our heart is hard, and the proof of it is we don't feel 
for the Lord and the Lord. Shouldn't that be added? So does God not, does God not want you to enjoy the ball game? You may disagree with this. I'm going to tell you something. God wired that man that way. That's a gift to him. That's pleasure. But not to the replacing, not in the same world as his expression for God. That man ought to be free if he can scream at a television. He ought to be able to say, glory to God in the sanctuary. There ought to be expressions. And our heart is hard and we've excused our apathy. And we can tell our heart is hard by how we justify our opinions, our actions, and our selfishness. By how little respect and reverence we have for God and his house. And I know, I know it's going to make some of you mad. I, I, hey, I don't know how long I'll be here, so I need to tell you. It is embarrassing when we have a worship service that starts at 1015. Now listen, before I even get to it, I'm going to go ahead and... There are things that happen, man. We got people that drive 50 miles here. There's stuff that happens. But not two-thirds of the church. May I, may I reason with you? Not two-thirds of us come in 15 and 20 minutes late. And you know why we come late? The two-thirds. And if you came late this morning, I'm not singling you out. You might have been on time every week. And so don't misquote me. We get to work at 6 o'clock in the morning. You know what? It doesn't much matter. That's just worship. I'll just miss a couple songs and I'll come in and get the other part. And we don't even know. If it mattered, we'd be here. Or there, or somewhere. You know why we don't go to work late? Because it matters. It would cost our family. We could lose our job. We'd lose the opportunity to provide. But our song leader can stand up and start talking about the word of the Lord. And people just talking and carrying on and playing on their phones and because this is not an all-inclusive rule, but there's just no respect. Just a general respect that if we're going to meet the Lord here, and I'm going to meet you here. Now, he's with me always, but I'm going to meet you at 1015. You don't owe me nothing. I am nothing. Um, uh, you don't owe me, you know, you've been there 20 years, you don't owe me anything. But if the Lord is going to meet with us, even if we're those people that kind of run behind, then we try to get here at 10 so we could be here. So we come in, Lord, I just didn't want to be late because I'm meeting with you. These are conditions of the heart. And I've been here 20 years and we still have this condition. And I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do for me. I don't know what to do for us. Except repent. That's all I know to do for us. And the goal is not to get everybody on time because we're supposed to be punctual. No, we're supposed to be reverent. And I think he wants to meet with me on Sunday morning. And I just, if I can make it to work at 6.30, I can make it to church at 10.15. That's all. That's all I offer. There's very little gratitude sometimes from, from our life to the Lord. And our heart is hard because of what we allow and what we do not do with our lives. We can tell how hard our heart is because of how difficult it is for God's word to penetrate it. And God will not do this for us. We must clear the land 
plow the land and remove the debris. In our heart, you must clear the land, plow the land, and remove the debris. We do this by disconnecting from the world and getting alone with God, running the sword of his word through it. We plow our hearts and surrender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We plow our hearts showing mercy on nothing that's not supposed to be in the garden. We plow our hearts intentionally, deeply, and thoroughly. If our musician would come, please. Then he speaks of the uncircumcised heart. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Y'all stay with me. Don't, Don't worry about them, just stay with me. Lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it. The men of Israel were circumcised physically. But they needed to circumcise their hearts so that their inward condition matched their outward profession. They needed to circumcise their hearts so that their inward condition matched their outward profession. When you circumcise your heart, it is intentional and it is specific. It is painful and it is bloody. It cannot be done by someone else or by proxy and it cannot be undone. God wants us to cut back this hard layer, to cut it back now, to cut it back deeply and to cut it back personally. And then when you cut back the foreskin of your heart, you can cut it back expectingly, knowing this will be the end of the dullness and the beginning of sensitivity again. We're adults in this room. Let's look at what circumcision is. A physician takes the little private of a little boy and he pulls the skin back on his private and cuts it and stitches under it. And it becomes... The most sensitive spot on his body. If you don't believe me, change their diaper. Any wind hits that little boy. And he's going to TT everywhere. For a man, when he's with his wife, at the touch of his wife, she can touch him on his cheek. She can kiss his forehead. But if she were to touch his private, it's the most sensitive area on his body. And God said, if you would take your heart and cut back that top layer, I could walk by you and you'd feel it. Just any wind would blow. Other people don't even sense me, but in the announcements, you'd sense me. I go, oh, Father God, Father God. And he said, and if you know you're hard-hearted and you won't do this, my fury is going to break out on you. That's, That's the thing. See, we're close enough to be judged. Other people are ignorant. There are there are other Christians they don't know. We know. We're supposed to live in him and move in him and have our being. We're supposed to sense when we come into God's house. This is time to meet with the Lord. And any song blows by you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I told Leanne what I was ministering on. And she searched for a song. And I want her to play it through once. And then I want us to respond. I'm calling out to unfaithful wives, unhealthy patients, unplowed fields, and uncircumcised hearts. May we find grace through our repentance 
And may we become sensitive again to the Lord Jesus. Would you listen to her sing through this once and then these altars are open.
I'm taking my focus from this world and to your face. Cause you're the only one brings this peace. You're the only one who brings me peace. Church family, would you look this way before we close today? I know a lot of this has to be finished up at home. Let me tell you how the Spirit of the Lord operates, though. When you receive a word like this, the devil can't stop it from happening, so he'll get behind you and push. If he can't keep you off the tracks, he'll get behind you and push. More repentance. You didn't grief enough. You didn't. No, 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 no. When we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and we repent, Not only is great grace given, but stature is given. And we rise up. And you go back to revisit. He goes, no, we took care of that. We took care of that. I have a new day planned for you. The Lord schedules new. Repentance is necessary, but it's not the goal. The goal is unhindered union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Unhindered union. So next week, we're going to come back in our hearts, ready, reverent, and we're going to study worship together so that this instrument would bring honor and glory to the Lord. I never want to be the pastor that makes you feel like you were beat up, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. And now we who have repented, God has granted us grace. So rise up, square your shoulders, thank the Lord, and you'll praise flows from that mercy and that grace that he's extended to us. I was this, I was this, I was unfaithful, I was unhealthy, I was unplowed, I was uncircumcised, but that is gone. And I'm walking into this new area of grace. God won't take you backward takes you forward. Amen? Do you receive that in your heart? Be ready. Be ready. You're going to start to feel him at Publix. You'll be pushing your bug and you go, not in Publix, Lord. Not right here. I'm telling you. And you know what you do? If you're driving, some of you worship while you're driving, you can one hand worship. That's okay. Hold the wheel. Worship with other hands. I love you, Lord. Be prepared to come back to life. Father, I thank you for this wonderful house and these people that are so patient with me allowing me to shepherd them we humble ourselves before you the great shepherd of our souls and we receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to deliver us and save us don't ever take your spirit from us Lord don't ever stop dealing with us thank you for a brand new day where would I be without your mercy oh Lord thank you Lord Thank you. As we go out from this house, oh Lord, help us to choose wisely to be in this world but not of it. To set our affections on things above and not on this world. And to store up our treasures in heaven as well. Let this day be all that you plan for it to be. In the name of your son, Jesus, the strong son of God. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.